Well, we come to our uh, second last talk you would like to know. <laughs> I hope you found it helpful, this series on Genesis 1 to 3. I've found it very helpful in just going over it and discovering more and more of the teaching that we have here for our lives. And I've just found it such a blessing to my own heart. So I hope it's been the same for you as well as for myself. But we're going to be looking at uh, Genesis, the whole of Genesis chapter 2. And I don't want to read the scriptures just now. I want to read it as I go along. That will save time as well. But also it helps when we're consulting God's word as we go along. Let's just come to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for all the insights that we have gleaned from your word. And we pray that today would be no exception. That you would be pleased, O Lord, to reveal your heart to us. Help us to understand the things you're trying to say to us. And where there is an application to be made to our lives, help us to be willing to obey you in everything. Let me give you thanks for all the insights that we have received. And we pray, Lord, that you will just touch our lives where we need to be touched. That you will build us up in our faith and give us a fresh understanding through God, the Holy Spirit. We ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. So important you have a copy of the scriptures with you. If you haven't got a Bible, then I'm sure that Jamie will help you out there because uh, I'm going to be referring to Genesis chapter 2 quite a lot. So you want to have a copy of the scriptures. If you haven't got one, then I'm sure that uh, Jamie will help you out there. But we're in Genesis chapter 2. The last time we met, we said something about the creation of man in day 6 and also God's um, creation of a day of rest. I hope you had a restful Sunday last Sunday after we spoke about these things. But let's begin Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4. And what we find there is the, this verse, Genesis 2 and verse 4, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And that's an important verse in these uh, chapters of Genesis and the, the whole book of Genesis. That's an important verse because that's the first of a few verses where we get the meaning of the name Genesis. Genesis is named after Genesis 2 verse 4 and other verses of scripture that we'll see in a wee moment or two. Uh, the NIV uses the word account. But if you go to a King James Bible, you would see the word generations. This is the, the generations of the heavens and the earth. Or we could say the origin of the heaven and the earth. A better uh, translation would be the word, this is the offspring of the heavens and the earth. If you were to flick through your Bible very quickly to chapter 5 and verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, This is the written account of Adam's line. What it actually means, this is the written generations, or the origin of Adam's line. If you jump to chapter 6 and verse 9, you'll find this is the account 
of Noah. This is the generations of Noah. If you jump very quickly finally to chapter 10 and verse 1 it says this is the account of Shem, Ham and Jepheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. And it's these verses that this is the generations, this is the origin, this is the offspring that give rise to the name Genesis. The name Genesis means the origins, the generations of. I just thought I would throw that in for interest's sake, but this is the first of these verses that we find in Genesis 2 and verse 4. And this time it's not applied to Adam or to Noah's sons or to any person, but it's actually saying this is the, the offspring of heaven and death. This is what heaven and earth has produced, as it were, when they were created, as it were. Now there are two problems that had to be faced in those early days. And the first problem was that there was no rain. So the earth was not quite ready for mankind. This is going over the creation story. And Genesis 2, you're going over some of the things that are applicable in Genesis chapter 1. And one of the problems was that there was no rain upon the earth. There was a need for some kind of vapor. We mentioned before that God was able to give this canopy of vapor what was the right conditions for the earth to produce the vegetation. And so Genesis 2 is going over that scene again and saying there was no rain upon the earth. And the second problem you'll find in Genesis 2 and verse 5, there was no man to work the ground. Which shows just how important mankind was in God's creation. God didn't magically produce everything or or tend to everything, but he created mankind to be able to till the ground. As we said last week, it wasn't the tilling of the ground that was the result of sin, although it might seem like purgatory when you go to dig up the ground. It was the toil of doing that that was the result of sin. That God created mankind to look after the earth, to till the ground. He didn't produce everything so that mankind could sit on his laurels and and just do nothing to produce the food. He created mankind to be involved in that. And it's very interesting that right back in the creation story, the creation of man, God was protecting the right to work. And that's an important theme in today's news, isn't it? Where people are losing their jobs, where people are finding it hard to get employment. But here in the early chapters of Genesis, God is actually making that provision, the right to work of every person. And it behoves us as mankind, as as a society, to be able to provide work. For all those uh, who are in this creation as it were. Perhaps the only job that's secure these days is that of the undertaker. But I'm sure there are other jobs that are meant to be secure in our society. We need to pray that our society will be such that people will find employment. That people will want to work. And that jobs that God has provided will be taken up as it were. So God has provided there the right to work in the early chapters of Genesis. And we need to be saying, Lord, if there is a job that I can be doing, if there's something even voluntarily that I should be doing, feed me into that, show me that job. 
And there's plenty of areas here in the shop next door where you can find some voluntary work if you're so minded. But God wants us to work. He wants to provide us with work. Even if it is voluntary work until we find something else. But sometimes there's something drastically wrong with society that produces uh, a generation that may not be employable. We need to get out of that rut as believers and see what God has for us. And then if you go to chapter 2 and verse 7 of that chapter, notice something else here about man's creation. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. I want you to notice something else about that verse. Put your finger on that verse there of verse 7 because something is important there. And what is important there is the word Lord. And when you go to that word Lord in Genesis 2 and verse 7, you'll see it's in capital letters. And that is fundamental, that's important. Because every place that you're in the Bible, you see the word Lord in capital letters, that means the word for God is Jehovah. And this is the first time Jehovah's name is mentioned in Genesis. Before that, the word is God, the word is Elohim. And when we get to Genesis 2 and verse 7, we have Jehovah Elohim. And that is fundamental. That is so important. I don't want you to miss it. And perhaps you're saying to him, well, how is it important? Because of this, that Jehovah is the name that God uses to bring about his personal revelation to our lives. You remember the story of Moses, when Moses was confronted by God at the burning bush. And eventually Moses says to God, who will I say sent me? And God says to Moses, say Jehovah has sent me, the I am who I am. Yahweh has sent me. This is the personal God and you'll remember in scriptures we find descriptions of this God. Jehovah Jireh, God my provider. Jehovah Shalom, God my peace, God my righteousness. This is the name that God uses when he wants to bring that personal touch to your life and mind. So every time we see that word capitals, the word Lord in capitals, it's really God saying that he is personal to each one of us. And what happens here is that God has taken the situation of planting man in the garden, or if you like, giving mankind a home... And then revealing himself as Jehovah. He waits until mankind is placed in the garden. Giving him a home. And says, I am Jehovah. I want to personally reveal myself to you in a very wonderful way. And the most wonderful revelation, the personal revelation of Jehovah was in that baby at Bethlehem. When we think in a few weeks' time about the babe coming at Bethlehem, we find that Jehovah God is becoming God in human flesh at Bethlehem. That's the greatest personal revelation of God that we'll ever get. 
But here we find God revealing himself to Adam in this very personal and wonderful way. There's something tremendous here about Adam being planted, as it were, in this garden, the Garden of Eden. Years and years ago, I read about uh, caterpillars. I've always remembered a caterpillar has nine pairs of lungs. Did you know that? Nine pairs of lungs. But I also read that when the, the butterfly that you try and flick away from your cabbages or from your garden, isn't it remarkable that the butterfly lands on a feast for the caterpillar? It doesn't land somewhere, the caterpillar, the, 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 the butterfly doesn't plant seeds or, or eggs, if you like, on places that the caterpillar is not going to feed upon. And the caterpillar, as it were, begins to wake up and, or grow into a caterpillar and say, this is absolutely fantastic. And if you knew what a, a caterpillar ate in accordance with its height or its weight, you would be absolutely amazed way and above anything you think it might actually eat. If we tried to eat the same capacity according to our weight as the caterpillar, we would be, I don't know where we would be, we'd be away out here. It's quite remarkable that the butterfly lands in the right place for the caterpillar to feed on. And here is God taking Adam and he plants him in this garden. And this garden is just the, the right place for mankind. That where he plants him, he wants him to grow. He wants him to feed upon the provision that God has given him. Eileen has been planting bulbs. And I've had the wonderful job of carrying manure from the car right through the bedroom, the bedroom in the garage room, right through. To, it's a wonderful job carrying manure. I can't think of anything I would like to do more than carry manure, but I suppose the manure is important for the garden. But she's been planting bulbs. But I don't know many bulbs that grow outside of the pot, outside of being actually planted somewhere. And the same is true with your life and mine. God wants to plant us in a home. Now, perhaps you're not going to be moving house, and I'm not talking about your house. He wants to give you a spiritual home. And he wants you to grow where you're planted. That's not just the church as a spiritual home, which is true, it's a spiritual home. But he wants you to grow wherever he plants you in this life, in your own home, in your society, in your community. But he also wants to give you a spiritual home. I mean you to be able to say, Lord, I want to be planted in that place where I'm going to grow. I want to be planted where you reveal yourself as Jehovah, that personal God to me. Because you see, that home is just a wonderful, it's a place of blessing. It's a place of bounty, it's a place of benefits. It's a place of every kind of thing that we need. It's a place that's full of peace, blessing, bounty and beauty and so many other things. And I want you to ask you this question, have you found your spiritual home? Because there's nothing worse than going around in, uh, in the air as it were and not coming down to land anywhere 
Have you found your spiritual home where God wants to plant you, where God wants to reveal himself as the Lord Jehovah, the Lord God Jehovah? Let's look again at chapter 2 then. But here in chapter 2 we have more details about man's creation. It says in that chapter he was created from the dust of the ground. Man is not created out of nothing as it were. But how do we interpret this dust of the ground? Did God make, make mud pies and begin to shape these mud pies into a man and, and then breathe into these mud pies? I, I don't think that's the intention. But you may be interested to know that our bodies are made up of 15 or 16 chemicals or elements and that some of these elements are actually found in the ground. But perhaps we shouldn't get caught up with, with mud pies and what God shapes and, and breathes into in that kind of sense. But perhaps that being created from the dust of ground is meant to share with us the frailty of humankind. From dust we came, from dust we will return. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It might be also to, to highlight in the scriptures that God is the potter and we are the clay. That God is the one who shapes our lives. So we have to look at that, that we are clay in the potter's hands. In chapter 2 and verse 19 we learn that the animals also originate from the dust of the ground. But only of man does it say that man became a living soul. That man has a spirit. That mankind is created in the image of God. Only of man does it say that. Notice verse 9 then, there are two special trees in this garden. There's the tree of life and there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you move to verses 16 and 17, you've got first God's first command in the Bible. First command to mankind. You'll see it there in verse 17 or 16. And God the Lord said, commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat of it you will surely die now here's the point in this creation story where God brings us two things together two things that you need for your life that I need for my life and the two things are love and obedience and here is God testing Adam's love for him Adam, will you really love me? And if you love me, Adam, you'll obey me. It's that kind of combination. And that comes through in the teaching of Jesus. If you love him, you will obey him. That's the fundamental teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've heard a lot in the songs that have been sung this morning about that wonderful, here is love vast as the ocean. And that love is being tested and I want to tell you that in the, the Christian life you're always going to get that test that God is going to test your love for him and coming out of that love for him will be a willingness to obey his command and so in verses 16 and 17 you've got God's very first command to mankind 
But chapter 3 and verse 22 is a bit strange because it says in chapter 3 and verse 22, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. So what we find, and we'll learn a wee bit more about this in the last talk next Sunday, God willing, that man actually eats of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it says that man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Let me try and explain what's wrong with us having this knowledge of good and evil. Why was it wrong for man to eat of this tree of good and evil? Would it not be good for us? To eat of that tree and have a knowledge of good and evil. What's wrong with that? First of all we should put our minds to to the rest. That there's no magical fruit here. Man was not picking some magical fruit that enlarged his brain. And gave him this wonderful knowledge of good and evil. That's not what we see here. The way I see it is that God used this tree to symbolise his knowledge of good and evil. It's God's knowledge of good and evil that symbolized in this tree. It was a tree that symbolized the very presence of God. It's as if God is saying to Adam, look every other tree for food and this is the one I'm going to use. I'm going to use this to test your love for me. This tree is going to symbolize my presence. This is going to symbolize all my knowledge and all the evil that I know of in this world. This is the knowledge that I know of, of good and evil that will come about in this world. This is a symbol of my presence. Well, some have asked the question, what knowledge of evil would Adam actually have? Because God said, because you've eaten of this tree, you will have this knowledge of good and evil. What knowledge of evil would he have? And the answer to that is quite clear, that God gave him the knowledge of the result of that evil. If you eat of that tree, says God, you shall surely die. So God tells them the result of evil. And let me put it to you this way, you don't need to try evil. To know the result. All you need to be told is, that's evil. Don't touch it. That's all we should need to be told. And that's what it was told to Adam. Look, if you take of that tree, you will surely die. This is the knowledge of the good and evil. That's all you need to know. And if you do take of it, you shall surely die. All we need to know is, that's evil. Don't touch it. And what God is really saying, this is a symbol of my presence. This is the knowledge that belongs to me. You've got the tree of life. You've got all the fruit that you're ever going to need. You've got every provision that I can give you that will help you grow in your faith. That's all that you need to have. That's all you need to know. Don't touch that one. It symbolizes my presence. That's how I see it anyway. Perhaps you can see it from a different way. But God symbolizes that knowledge of himself. He never intended mankind to have that kind of degree of knowledge. Nor did he make us for rebellion. He made us for love and obedience. He made you for love and obedience. Do you get the picture? God is showing his tenderness to us. 
by providing mankind with a garden, with paradise, with a home beautifully situated, all man's needs in terms of food. And he gives man dominion over the animals. He gives him the responsibility of naming them. He made man with intellect, a rational being with some knowledge, including the knowledge of the result of disobedience. He gave man the knowledge of the result of disobedience. What is true of Adam is true of us. Earlier I said there were two problems to overcome before the earth was ready for man. There was no rain. There was no one to work the ground, the right to work. But God highlighted another problem. Look at chapter 2 and verse 18. It said, God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. The text gives the impression that Adam was trying out the animals as pets to see if they would be really good as companions. And he came to the conclusion that not one of them met the need. And God says it's not good for man to be alone. Let's look at verses 21 to 25. So the Lord caused man, the man, to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib that he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason a man will cleave his, leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And what we find here is that God provided a helper suitable for him. The earliest role for women was not childbearing. The earliest role was a helper. The earliest role was not procreation. The earliest role was a partner for mankind. And that's so important. The Bible does not think of women merely in terms of procreation. She's introduced both in relation to God and in relation to man. In relation to God, she is formed by God. In relation to mankind, the only fit helper for mankind. And the implication we get in Genesis is that of a mutual need. Man needs woman and woman needs man. The one complements the other. She is meant to be a companion. And the question I think the church needs to ask sometimes, are we guilty of breaking up? family relationships, not in terms of, of breaking them up in that sense but having something for this one and something for that one and out every night of the week and so they can't actually get together and enjoy each other's company. Sometimes church life can be like that, that we have all kinds of things going on that there's no time for husband and wife and family to get together but God has given a, a helper a partner and he means us to develop that to resource it 
And sometimes church life, I'm talking about myself and the ministry and all the kind of things that I had to attend and all the kind of things that were happening that made me not available at home for my wife or for my family. That can happen in church life. Perhaps you've experienced that yourself. Are we guilty of separating the family, not breaking up the family, but separating the family for all the different things that are on? Or do we provide the time for folks to get together and enjoy the kind of relationship that God has provided here? And what happens here that woman is neither a man's slave or an idol. She is his partner. She is a helper fit for him because man is not complete without her. I used to say that uh, at weddings that no man is complete uh, without being married as it were <laughs> that's not quite what I said I said that, that no man is complete until he finds a wife after that he's finished maybe that's true <laughs> now with regard to the way that Adam, woman was created from one of Aaron's ribs it's helpful to note that this word used for ribs occurs 40 times in the scriptures in the Hebrew scriptures and every other time it's mentioned they don't use the word rib, they use the word side. So perhaps it's helpful to realise that woman is created from Adam's side. The word actually means side, but only in this instance is it actually translated rib. Some take the word in a very literal sense, some believe that if man was created from dust, dust it was... If woman was created from a rib of Adam, a rib it was, or some take it to mean symbolic of something else that God actually does. That the dust means man's frailty and the rib means woman was taken from man's side. A woman is complimenting the man. You may have heard the saying that woman was not taken from man's head to lord it over him, not from his feet to be trampled under him, but from his side to be a helper suitable for him. Genesis 2.24 is the earliest teaching on marriage in the Bible. Boy, do we need this today, don't we? That marriage is a creation ordinance and no government or no rule of law is ever going to change that. So what we find here in Genesis 2.24 is really this marriage order. Let me just read verse 24. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. What is the purpose of marriage? I teach couples when they come to me that God wants man not only to have rich resources but he wants them to have rich relationships. A rich relationship with God above him, to the animals around him, and to the women beside him. I teach them that God intended marriage for two main purposes. One was for partnership, created not to compete, but to complement. And the second is for parenthood. I teach them the three elements that are managing God's sight. Number one is there's a social responsibility here. That is to leave the father and mother and enter into that relationship with husband and wife. The second is personal commitment to cleave. The word in Hebrew actually means to be glued together. That tremendous adhesive that only God can give. 
So there's that social responsibility to leave the nest egg, as it were, and that personal commitment to cleave, and, and then the physical union of one flesh. I teach them the Bible's principles for marriage. Number one is permanence. The Bible, the original, the original uh, guidance for marriage is not divorce, it's permanence. Monogamous marriage, only one wife, only one husband. And thirdly, fidelity. That means chastity outside of marriage and faithfulness within the marriage. Let's not forget the main themes then that we've explored today. How God wants to reveal himself to you in a personal way. That every time you see the word L-O-R-D in capital letters, that's Jehovah. That's this personal God, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, Jehovah Shalom, my peace, Jehovah my righteousness. This is a personal God and he speaks that name when man is planted into the garden. He gives man a home and then reveals himself in a very personal way. Have you found your spiritual home? Is this your spiritual home? Is this the place where God wants you to be planted so you can grow in that wonderful way as God reveals himself, his heart to you? It's just that God has found a home for you and he wants you to relate to him in that personal way. Two trees introduced to us as a test that we'll all have to face. The test of love and obedience. There's the tree of life. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, don't touch that. It speaks of a degree of knowledge and of evil that only God understands, that only God knows. And the moment you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. We'll talk about that next week, God willing. Mankind was not meant to have that degree of knowledge of good and of evil. God gave us the knowledge that we should have. Man is made from the dust as a symbol surely of his frailty. From dust we came, from dust we return. Woman from the side of man symbolizes that she complements man. Regarding her earliest role, she is very much the helper before she is the childbearer. Then in Genesis 2, the earliest view of marriage as a creation ordinance and no government and no law will ever change that. Isn't it wonderful to see all these themes coming out of these early chapters of the Old Testament and the early chapters of Genesis. These chapters are foundational for your life and for mine. Let's have a word of prayer.